0: You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania.
1: Hey, it's Sarah. And hey, it's Grace. And today I'm going to tell you the story of the murder of Gwendell Greenblatt. Now, she was living in Florida at the time, but she was born and raised in the Lehigh Valley and still had very strong ties there, including family. So just because it didn't happen in PA doesn't mean it didn't have an immense effect here. So we are going to talk about that today. But Sarah, you said you had an update on the last episode. So I'm going to throw it back to you for a moment.
0: Yes, thank you. Um, So two things. Number one, I know I corrected this partway through the episode, but I want to call myself out for it again because names are important. And in, I don't know, just the, the stress of reading from the page and trying to get my brain to say it right, I did mispronounce... Um, Tamara's name for the first like 10 minutes of the episode. I know I called myself out last week. I believe I was calling her Tamara instead of Tamara. And I do want to just kind of clarify that I know I messed up and I'm just fully calling myself out on it a second time because as I re-listened to it last week, I was like kicking myself the entire time, every single time I said her name wrong. So I do apologize for that again. Names are very important. So I just wanted to put that out. And then also, uh, we did get an email or a, a message from the website this week about... A a detail that we were just uncertain of that involved stick shift vehicles, and it's not anything that's, you know, changing the case, but we really appreciate when people reach out to us through the website or email or like on our socials, just to let us know, you know, hey, you were asking about this, and this is kind of how that actually works, or this is the information I know about it. So. Just kind of throwing that out there as a reminder, we do have a couple different places that you can shoot us some corrections. We know that we make mistakes, so... It's not a big deal to us if you point them out. We do really appreciate when they come in the form of like emails or private messages, though, because then we can follow up if we're not sure what episode it was or if we have like follow up questions or comments about your feedback. It is just nice to be able to have that open line of communication. So thank you for sending that email and clarifying a little bit about stick shift uh, transmissions for us over the past week. So um, that's all I had for my update. And uh, let's talk about Gwendol.
1: And also, I feel like cars is kind of a gap in knowledge that we all
0: have. For all three of <laughs> <Yeah>. us.
1: <laughs> we have, you know, some different ones, but cars is a glaring one because I, yes. when we were talking about this before we started recording and I said, I, I don't even remember talking about that. I must have blacked out from <laughs> boredom. <laughs> Yeah, so it happens. But thanks, guys. And yes, let's get into Gwendol's case. So Gwendol, her family and friends refer to her as Gwen. So that's what I'm going to refer to her as from here on out. She was born and raised in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And after graduating from Bethlehem Catholic High School, she studied dance at DeSales. That is how you say that, right?
0: I think because for some reason I was staring at it, and I mean it sounded... that's how I'd say it. That's that's the English pronunciation. So <laughs> I don't know that it's an English word, but since my degree is in English, I can confirm that yes, that's how you would say it in English. <laughs> so weird.
1: Maybe I just stared at it too long,
0: and now it doesn't
1: make sense to me. But anyway. <laughs> Her family ran a dance school in the area, Miss Jean's School of Dance Arts, um, and Miss Jean was actually Gwen's grandmother. Um, And Gwen taught there for nine years before deciding to move to Florida. And in Florida, she worked as a professional dancer on cruise ships for a while. That's fun. Yeah, right? (laughs) I like that. I bet those costumes were really, really cool. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So her friends and brothers describe her as a very kind person who just wanted everyone around her to be happy. And I mean, you can just really tell in photos and just accounts from everyone. She was just she was kind. She was thoughtful. She would send cards for every holiday, every birthday. She was just just a wonderful
0: person. She's a better person than I am. Me too i mean i'm horrible she's better than me not i'm birthdays. better than you
1: i just want to clarify but yeah. i
0: mean you're also better than me so there is that too but yeah cards. i can't keep up with things so cards are not my but, thing
1: yeah um, so she eventually decided to switch to a career in massage therapy instead. Um, and I know she, she really loved dance her whole life. So I'm not really sure what prompted this change. Maybe she was just getting a little bit older and knew that she wouldn't physically be able to dance forever. Um Yeah. How old was she when she switched? Do you know? Um, I think either in her late twenties or early thirties. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: Um. I, my aunt has a friend who was a dancer in New York with the Martha Graham School of Dance, and she danced from basically the time she was born until her body, like, basically broke down, and I think she left Martha Graham when she was in her late 20s, early 30s, somewhere around that, so that's definitely, I mean, I didn't even dance professionally, I just danced in a local studio for 15 years and you hear all my woes about my hips and my knees and my ankles and all the issues that I have. So I don't, yeah. I, I definitely think that it was probably inspired by just, it. it takes a toll on your body.
1: Yeah. Professional dancers, they do some wild stuff. And even, um, I was telling you, I went to my goddaughter's dance recital actually yesterday. And some of the older students and instructors did solo dances and some of the Mm -hmm. things that they did. I can't imagine you could do that with your body forever. I mean,
0: yeah. And I'm sure too. I mean, being a dancer on a cruise ship, like cruise ships don't, stop. Sure. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like you port at different places and different people will board and disembark from, you know, any port, but like the ship just keeps going. So sometimes they might have a couple days off, but for the most part, you're probably doing more than one show a day. I would imagine. So you're probably doing two to three shows a day every single day and it's good enough that it is exciting for cruise goers to watch Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like so it's probably even more maybe a little bit more intense which is gonna wear down on your body faster so it's not you know even like when you watch the recital like that you went to yesterday and they do that you know, they practice for it and they perform it once or twice or some dance companies have more than two recitals. But I mean, this is practicing and then also performing two to three times a day in addition to the practicing that you're doing. So it, it can definitely wear you down.
1: Yeah. Wow. I'm 32 with back problems. So literally just thinking about it makes me hurt.
0: (laughs) Makes your back. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm over here like rubbing my knees as I'm talking. (laughs) Because we're ancient. Yes. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm not.
1: So, yeah, she eventually decided to switch careers. And she had just started her own mobile massage business with a friend Um, at the time of her murder. I'm unclear. I know at at least at one point she was working at the Breakers in West Palm Beach, Florida, which is if you are unaware like I was, that it's like the most premier like hotel and spa in the area. Oh. And she was the head massage therapist. So it seems like what she went after, she excelled at.
0: Yeah. Because
1: she, you know, she just decides to change her career. And then by this time, she's the head massage therapist at the fanciest hotel around. I mean. Wow. Yeah. She really seemed to have some drive. Yeah.
0: I mean, and also she probably had very strong arm and hand muscles Mm -hmm, from dancing. Yeah. So I'm sure that helped.
1: Yep. And she was only 35 years old at this time. And this is the time of her murder in 2003. Okay. So just to back up a little bit. Uh, Gwen began dating Matthew Greenblatt while they both lived in the Lehigh Valley area in Pennsylvania, and they decided to move to Florida together in search of a better lifestyle. Now, he came from a wealthy family. Uh, his family owned, I don't know if they still own, Synthetic Thread in Bethlehem, which is a um, factory that makes synthetic thread for apparel, etc. cetera. Um, appropriately named. Yes. <laughs> I was like, hmm, I wonder what that is. Exactly what I <laughs> thought it was. <laughs> It's right there. Um, But he came from this family, so it was probably well within their means, you know, to move to another state for a better lifestyle. It wasn't something they were just aspiring to out of nowhere. Right. So this might seem like kind of an absolute fantasy you meet a wealthy guy fall in love move to glamorous west palm beach and they bought a house there and everything but then there was the fact that matt was a bit of a playboy and that's probably a bit of an understatement once i start going into
0: it cute
1: (laughs) yeah and gwen's family could see this very clearly before they um even moved to florida Gwen and her mother actually got into a big fight before she moved to Florida. And part of it was because her mother had wanted her to take over the family business at the dance school. So there was that. But there was also the fact that her mom just had a bad feeling about the relationship between Gwen and Matt. And she just did not want her to go. But Gwen was in love. So the couple moved to Florida and they got married in October of 1998. Now, surprise, surprise. Unfortunately, within a year, Gwen called her mother hysterical, according to Gwen's brother, saying that she had discovered Matt was cheating on her. And it just it doesn't that suck? Like when the family can see. Yeah. See it. And you just can't. I've been on both sides of that. So, yeah, I get how impossible it can be to change someone's mind. So they ended up separating, but not divorcing. Matt stayed in the house that they had bought together, and Gwen got an apartment where she lived alone. But we will get more into the relationship in a moment. So this is kind of how everything went down the day that Gwen was murdered. On the afternoon of February 5th, 2003, Gwen was on the phone with her friend Christina as she was entering her apartment after coming home from work. All of the sudden, Christina heard a scream, the phone dropping, and then silence. That's horror movie stuff. I don't like that. No, not
0: and at all. And I know you guys can't see me, but Grace can see me, and I was just shaking my head she back is, and forth for a solid 30 seconds yeah, before I could speak. Shuddering, basically. That's, I don't like that. No. I, I don't like that. So, Not that anyone does. Right. But
1: I mean... Just... It makes my skin crawl. Yeah. And I imagine being on the phone with my best friend and her screaming in silence, like I would be completely panicked. Right.
0: And now imagine, and I don't know where Christina was living. Was she a friend from home or was she like in Florida? She was in Florida. Okay. Yes. Then that's not that it's better, but like, right. I couldn't imagine if, you know, my, one of my good friends who lives in Tennessee, like if she did that, And I'm in Pennsylvania and she's in Nashville. And I'm like, crap, I can't get there right now. Yeah. Like I have to drive for 14 hours. Oh, yeah. True. You know, so. Yeah. yeah. My
1: best friend who lives 40 minutes from me called me recently at like 11 o'clock at night and just seeing her name on the phone, like made my heart drop into my butt. Yeah. And then I, of course I answered and she's inebriated and venting about something. I'm like, Oh my God, everyone's (laughs) alive. Everyone's safe.
0: (laughs) Your children are fine. You didn't, you didn't get hurt. Okay. And I was in the
1: shower. I was like, and I still answered. I was scared. So I was like, OK, so so I can call you back in a minute. I can finish my shower. I was so scared. <laughs> so I can only imagine this yeah. scenario. Yeah. Very, very scary. Um, so Christina calls out to Gwen because the phone didn't hang up. It's, there's just silence. But there's no answer. So then she called Gwen's house phone and left a panicked message saying that she was going to call the police if Gwen didn't pick up. But, of course, Gwen never did. So when the police arrived, the front door of the apartment was closed but unlocked. There were signs of a struggle inside, and Gwen was found in a bathroom closet slumped in a laundry basket. She had been shot twice in the head, once in the side of the face and once on the top of the head. There were investigators, and I was watching... An episode of Cold Justice that covered this case. And the investigators were like, this wasn't just a murder, this was an execution. Because wow. just shot twice in the head.
0: So Christina didn't hear gunshots. She no. just heard the scream. Correct. And then okay. silence, which I'm a little bit confused
1: about because. The cell phone didn't hang up. Christina describes even when she called the landline that she could hear through her cell phone, the phone ringing and herself leaving a message. So so Christina even had
0: two phones that she was calling. Yes. And she was still
1: listening through the cell phone, which I guess she must okay. have hung up eventually or must have disconnected eventually because she never talks about hearing the struggle that must have happened right or gunshots
0: so the only thing i can think and i feel like this is incredibly unlikely because it wasn't as easy to do on a cell phone in 2003 is that somehow like the phone just got muted
1: that's what i was thinking
0: But in 2003, we weren't carrying around iPhones or, you know, Androids that just had, you know, that mute button. I don't even remember. Like, I think that the first phone I had was like one of the Nokia bricks, you know, that you could like chuck through a window and it would still turn on. And I'm trying to I don't remember there ever being like a mute button or anything. And that would have been that was when I was in middle school. So that would have been 2008 ish.
1: Yeah. And also 0708. How would she have heard the landline ringing and herself leaving that message, but not. Oh, that's true, too. Not any more of a struggle. I'm just I'm not sure maybe that the timeline for the calls is just not clarified. So when this stuff was happening, the calls weren't happening. I'm not quite
0: sure. Maybe maybe some of the struggle, too. Again, it wasn't, you know, speaker. Quality wasn't and microphone quality on cell phones wasn't awesome. So maybe they just didn't hear, you know, the phone got dropped and the struggle happened in a different room or something and you just didn't hear it. Um, I'm also wondering if maybe part of the struggle was maybe trying to hurt her in a way that didn't require shooting. So strangulation or physical abuse or something like that. And then maybe by that time, Christina, had called, left the message, and then had to hang up because she had left a message. And so maybe that was during that time, is maybe when there just wasn't any gunshots fired yet because maybe they were trying something else. I don't know. I feel like I'm yeah. reaching really far for that. Well, but. it's
1: it's hard because it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around. And I will say that the phone definitely was dropped in the living room and there was a struggle in the living room. So it was happening okay. in the same space. But in the same room. I mean, okay. and there's I don't want to cast any doubt on what Christine is saying. There's never been any reason to
0: to to not believe believe
1: this and she's given interviews and everything. It's just something that I didn't quote that I could use some more clarification on. That's all. Sure. So the thing is that Gwen did not die right away. Oh, she succumbed to her injuries later in the hospital and she was never responsive. She could never say anything. So no questions were ever answered by her, but that I just hate it when that happens, when the victims have to suffer, like you would no one should ever be murdered ever but you would hope that if you're shot in the head you would just die
0: right two gunshot wounds above the shoulders yeah Mm mm-hmm
1: yeah one in her face and one in the top of the head you assume that that would have hit something critical
0: hopefully if i mean obviously she you know lived a little bit after it but hopefully it wasn't causing her pain right if that makes sense Mm -hmm. like um i do have a friend and i wonder uh maybe you'll talk about this later maybe we don't know the gunshot wound to the top of the head was that just kind of like a grazing gunshot wound or was it like vertical down it seemed like they were
1: standing over her from what i saw okay and i saw a drawing with the um indications where the shots were and it seemed the way that it was explained that they were standing over her basically
0: okay the reason I ask is I have a friend who went through a very dark time in her life and um, she actually attempted suicide with a gun at one point and she did shoot herself in the head but the way the bullet went it like it was in her head but the way that it went She's like fully functioning now. She's completely fine. So I'm just wondering if maybe it was a similar sort of situation that one of the bullets just didn't do what they wanted it to. And maybe that's why there was a second one. No,
1: they seem just to be still horrible, but I don't want to say point blank, but very close.
0: But essentially, okay.
1: Yes. Also, that's horrifying for your friend. I hope she's in a much better place now. She is. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So. It appeared as if Gwen had been met at the front door, either from someone hiding in her apartment or someone that pushed into her front door right after her. And then it seemed like they chased her around the apartment. Investigators found a sweater covered in blood with the sleeves inside out like she had been wearing it. And someone like grabbed it from the back
0: and she ran out of it that's oh yeah I don't know why that feels like a different level of creepy yeah I don't because it paints such a vivid picture yeah yeah
1: because other things you know there were a lot of things broken her phone and keys were on the floor like she had obviously tried very hard to get away but the the sweater thing just paints a very clear picture yes of what was happening So she finally, and her apartment was not very big at all, but she finally hit a dead end in the bathroom closet. So I'm thinking, you know, she was like, this is my last resort. I'm going to have to shelter in here. But it ended up being, you know, the dead end where the attacker or attackers, as we'll possibly um, look at, um, they ended up getting her there. So, investigators sought leads in both West Palm Beach and Gwen's native Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And Gwen's ex, Matt, was the first sub- suspect. Of course. I do want to point out, though, that I found a Palm Beach Post article, and that's the local newspaper from just a week after the murder. And it talks about the police testing some evidence that they found at the scene. And a little blurb here says that Matt smoked the same brand of cigarettes that were found at the scene, but police insist he is not a suspect. And that's a week after the murder. But as we'll see, he was really the first person named and heavily investigated. So I'm not sure if that was just delayed. I'm not sure how to take that. It was just an odd kind of
0: outlier that I found. Well, I feel like the same brand cigarette like, I mean, eh. I mean, unless it was used and his DNA was on it, it doesn't necessarily stand out to me too much. So we'll talk about the cigarettes. I didn't want to give away too much yet, but. Okay.
1: Um, The cigarette wasn't really like what confused me. It was just the okay. police insisting that he wasn't a suspect. So it's a week after I feel like too short of a time to clear him but you would assume he would be investigated first because he's the husband it's just that was a weird thing to read and it's a local paper Yeah, and it says the police insist this but later on i mean he is one of the main suspects one of two
0: so interesting i'll wait for more of those details when we get there and then yeah so we'll chat about it more. That's
1: really the only place I saw that from the very beginning of the investigation. But other than that, he really was the first kind of main suspect. Okay. And it wasn't just because he was the ex husband, but because their marriage had been rocky. Like I mentioned, right. Gwen found out that he was cheating on her shortly after they had gotten married. Like no honeymoon period. He's just right
0: doing his thing. He found a honeymoon. She yeah was just not it
1: exactly you know and that's that's the reason why they separated she moved into her own apartment but Matt had a key and they still continued to see each other it was still a intimate relationship as Matt himself put it so you know they were still at least hooking up but I think she considered it more of a
0: more a
1: relationship yeah Okay. And I mean, we've said that he was a playboy and right. other people could see it. It was just honestly the way he lived his life. I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying like,
0: no, this
1: was, and how, he was. how some
0: people choose to live their lives. And that's mm-hmm. fine as long as all partners are aware and agree with it. Yes.
1: I wrote this next that it was not an open marriage because if you have an open marriage like get it whatever works for you works for you but both people in the marriage really need to be on board and I mean she was not Gwen was not allowed to date anyone else so yeah that's no yeah Matt was also incredibly controlling and possessive So he could be with whoever she couldn't be. She couldn't even look at anyone else. So, yeah, not good. So once Gwen actually met a male friend who was truly just a friend, according to another source, and they were just having either drinks or dinner. I don't remember. But Matt spotted them. And then later, when Gwen went home, he was waiting to interrogate her in her apartment with the lights out. He was waiting no. for her in the so many like things about this are just like <laughs> horror movie trope, you know? Yeah. Like what is going on here? Yeah, that's. No. Yeah. Waiting in her home in the dark to question her about going to see a friend. So that's what level yes. this guy is at. Uh, he'd also said things like, if you divorce me, I will kill you. Oh, Cool. Yeah, that's not
0: manipulative or abusive at all.
1: And the friend that she had said this to was saying that when Gwen was relaying it, she wasn't saying it like she was scared. She was kind of saying it like, look how much he loves me in that kind of tone. Oh, yeah. This is a very classic, I feel like, emotionally and mentally abusive relationship. Yeah, yeah. She's Absolutely. looking at these things that he's doing as look how much he loves me. Right. And everyone else can see it for what it is. But she and we see there are times where she said, you know, I'm done with this. I'm done
0: with him. But right. That's just how ultimately she always went back because yep. she thought it was true love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that hurts my heart.
1: It is very, very. I know I've said this before, but it is very hard to get out of an abusive relationship. And I people that haven't been in it or been close to someone that's been in it don't seem to understand that. I mean, it from the outside looking in, it's like, well, why didn't she leave? leave. Just leave. Yep, that's what people say. But it is, whether it's physically or emotionally abusive, it's very difficult. Yeah. He also habitually screamed at her, like over the phone, especially, you know, screaming fights, just... He treated her like garbage. That's all it was. Picked up on that. Yep, it's worth noting that when speaking to a friend the night before she was murdered, Gwen mentioned that she was done with Matt once and for all and she was going to call a divorce attorney.
0: Yep, that um that sounds like they should have investigated him for more than a week before saying he wasn't. Yeah. Hey.
1: Don't suspect. worry, they did. Yeah. That was just Oh, uh, yeah. 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 So her friends were all worried about her. But as in the case of many abusive relationships, she kept wanting to give him a chance. So there's at least one motive right there for him. It was also discovered that according to a prenup, Matt had to pay about $75,000 to Gwen if the marriage didn't work out. And I believe the agreement was pretty much like she would leave with the money she came with. So I guess, you know, she had a decent amount Sure. To herself. So I think that was the agreement. And rel this wasn't a relatively huge amount of money for him because like I said, he came from a wealthy family. Right. Um, but a, a source did say that he was very upset at the thought of having to pay Gwen anything. I think it was kind of more the principle of the thing.
0: So you agreed to this prenup, and part of that was just if the marriage didn't work out, and then you slept with someone else or multiple someone else's and then you are upset that you have to pay her anything like you agreed to this and then you broke the marriage vows and now you're mad at her or mad that you have to do this like
1: yeah, the way that it was talked about, and this makes sense, that he was probably the one to initiate this because his family was right. very wealthy. So, yeah, right. it came back to, like, bite him in the ass. <laughs> so, exactly. Yes, he, this was the agreement. And then he's like, I don't want to pay
0: her anything. Well, and if she's dead, you don't have to pay her. Exactly. But we'll get to that later.
1: hmm And there was also an issue with with the house which matt wanted to sell so this was a house that they had bought together that matt when they was living in yes when they moved to florida okay. that matt was living in to sell he needed gwen's permission and signature but she refused so okay this was backed up by one of the real estate people involved in this but when matt was questioned he was like I don't even think the house was under her name. Like, I didn't need her signature. I don't know what you're talking about. So, How
0: do you not know if somebody else is also on your mortgage? Right? (laughs) Like, hmm, actually, I don't think she was on there. You don't think she was on there? Like, I know for a fact that my husband and I are both on our mortgage. Yeah. Like, we signed all the paperwork together, and we were married, so we had to apply together. (laughs) Like... It's not an option. Okay, I don't know. Just very, very strange. Yeah, especially because it wasn't like 25 years later. Yeah, right. Like, it's not like, oh, I just don't remember. It's been probably by the time he was trying to sell it. What, less than a year, two years? Well, they. Or they had the house before they were married.
1: They may have had the house before they were married, but it still wasn't
0: more than a few years. Yeah, so. Okay sorry yeah I'll, I'll step off that soapbox it, it's just there's it's a lot of insane. strange things here cool let's keep going
1: <laughs> so though matt was cooperative with the investigation initially his accounts of his whereabouts at the time of the murder changed over time so he said mm. that he was returning a video getting a pizza on the computer <laughs> taking a nap. And it seemed like they changed as they would like try to corroborate. And when they couldn't, he'd be like, oh, actually, I was doing this. So they would go to these places. No one had seen him. There wasn't security footage. So he just kept saying these things and something like taking a nap if he's by himself can't be corroborated and they did right. look at like his computer and his phone and there seems to be a lapse in activity around this time. And it was, it wasn't the middle of the night. It was the afternoon.
0: Okay. So. Hmm. Yeah. That's, he doesn't have a, a
1: solid alibi. He just doesn't. Yeah. He was also tested for gunshot residue a uh, few hours after the murder, and it was positive, but that test is sort of inconclusive in itself. Like, okay. you can use the test, like, piled in with a bunch of other evidence, but it doesn't stand okay. very well on its own.
0: Kind of like polygraph yes. evidence? Yes. Yes, okay. exactly.
1: So it's that type of thing that, yes, he was positive, but... It didn't really lead
0: to any solid evidence. Okay. It's all circumstantial. I mean, you could explain that away. Yes. Too, you know, I went to the shooting range. You know, anything I like did, that.
1: I did, and I can't remember where it was because it was just a little blip, but I believe it said that he had not shot a gun in the past so many years.
0: Oh. So that is, that
1: is interesting, but even it's pretty inconclusive by itself. Yeah. They couldn't really use too much, but there were cigarette butts that I had kind of alluded to earlier, Mm -hmm. found outside the apartment, and that did provide some clues. So DNA on one of the butts, which was on the ground, um, so investigators were not able to say how long it had been there, matched Matt's, which I say big deal. He had a key to her place. They were still seeing each other. It doesn't seem that strange to me for it to be
0: outside on the ground like that. Yeah. Now, I would agree with you there.
1: One of the investigators or actually I think it came from a couple of them said that it was known that Gwen didn't like for him to smoke either out front of the apartment or in the apartment. There was a balcony in the back, but you would have to go through the apartment to get there. Mm. So the investigator the one investigator was like it was strange that it was out front and then there was another investigator that said she lived in a place that really prided themselves on like cleanliness so to have a cigarette butt out front would have been strange but I I think he came into the apartment complex Maybe he was smoking already, and maybe he put it out you know before he went inside i just I don't exactly see what I was it thinking. As being strange. It's not yeah. a smoking gun quite literally it was not it was the cigarette was stomped on and could have been there for any number of days of time, yeah, yeah any any amount of time, yeah, so it's just that's not working for me, yeah, yeah, however. <laughs> There was another cigarette, but found still smoldering. So that's a much better indicator of how recent, recent yeah. the person smoking it was there. And it was sitting on top of a fire alarm pool, like one of those red boxes. And like, what a place to put your cigarette. Like, strange. Yeah. But the box was very close to the entrance to Gwen's apartment. So of course that was taken as evidence. Now there is a different DNA profile of an unidentified person on this cigarette. It is not Matt. So okay. yes, very interesting. Was
0: her apartment a building kind of like like yours where you have multiple units in a building that you like go into a hallway and the doors are off of it or was it like out like the the door that went to the outside directly went to her apartment. Do you know?
1: It was an apartment building like similar to mine, but it wasn't okay. closed off. It okay. was part it it was covered, but outside. If that okay. makes sense, like the hallway yes. was covered, but outside. So it yes. it wouldn't be unheard of to have like a cigarette butt. Sure, out there. sure, yeah.
0: Like somebody that was not in her apartment could have their DNA on something in that area. Yeah. It doesn't mean they had to be in her actual apartment. True. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's sorry. That's just what I was trying to clarify.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because that was my thinking as well, because in all the stuff that I read and all the episodes that I watched of various, it's been covered pretty well on a lot of true crime shows. They were really putting a lot of emphasis on this. And yes, the fact that it was smoldering around the time of her murder, like that's pretty right. damning, but it's not to say that someone couldn't have been just outside in that hallway area at the well, time, I mean, You know,
0: drive around any neighborhood ever and you're going to see people outside smoking, vaping. Well, I mean, a lot of people will vape inside now, so you don't see it quite as much, but you know, it's not like three people in the whole world smoke cigarettes. And if there's a burning cigarette, they must have been involved. Right? No, a lot of people smoke. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily like, like, if you found a cigarette butt at my house, or even I don't know if you were ever at my the apartment we lived in before we moved to the house, like that would pretty much be it would have to be someone that was in our house. right? Right? Like, there's not anyone else nearby. But like, If you found one like in by your elevator, like Mm -hmm. it could be anybody that lives there was visiting. Sure. Whatever. So I don't know. I I'll wait for more details, but I'm not sure that this cigarette pans out to too much.
1: Yeah. So a match actually was not found to that DNA profile until eight years later in 2011 when there was finally a hit in CODIS. It was discovered that the DNA profile belonged to Richard Engel, who was in jail at the time for an unrelated offense, Uh, nonviolent. It was actually federal mail fraud. So Uh. that's what he was in for. Um, But that is how they got his DNA. So investigators actually postulated the theory that Matt and this man, um, Engel, were working together to murder Gwen. However, Engel denied knowing Matt and said that he didn't have anything to do with the murder. He, all he mentioned was that he had delivered pizzas in the area at the time, which would actually explain, like, why the cigarette could have been there and he could have been right. delivering to a different unit. But he goes on to deny ever being in the vicinity of the apartment at the time of the murder. Hmm. So that's interesting. Now, it was eight years later, so his memory could be fuzzy, something like that. But yeah, it I mean, just seems odd. He says there's no way he could have been in that area at that time. Like
0: very adamant. Yes. I mean, if cops came to my door right now and were questioning me about... Something that happened at the mall that I was working at eight years ago. I'm not going to remember anything. So it does seem a little sketch that he was, you know, like saying he definitely remembers that he was not there. Mm hmm. But also he's already in jail. He doesn't want to get anything added to him. If he's really not responsible for this, like he knows he wasn't involved and he's like, yo, I'm here for mail fraud. I don't want a a murder pinned on me. Yeah. like So I can kind of see why he would just say, you know, I did deliver pizzas in that area, but no, I wasn't at her apartment that day. Like I wasn't around there. I wasn't because it was eight years ago and it's not like it was something he was thinking about constantly.
1: Yeah, it and it is odd because he had said at one point, you know, all those apartment complexes look the same. And when you see like some pictures of like the outside of her apartment and stuff, it does look very kind of generic. Okay. So he's like, oh, yeah, all those apartments look the same. I delivered pizza in the area. But then he's saying he definitely was not here at that
0: time. Yeah. So that is a little sketchy. But I feel like I could also totally get it. If he truly is innocent because he's already in jail, I can see him being like, no, 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 you're not pinning this on me just because I'm already in jail for something else. So, yeah, I mean, we've seen that happen before. So not necessarily in any of our cases, but just in being into true crime. You right. Know? We've seen things like that happen. Um, so I always want to believe people, and I know I shouldn't, I know, especially when we talk about... I I'm the about...
1: same way. I am the exact yeah. same way. It's hard. But this, and I only saw this on the episode of Cold Justice, but in it, Engel said that he wasn't even a smoker at the time, and he is insistent that the science is wrong, that that can't be his
0: DNA. And... Was it saliva DNA that they got? Or like touch DNA. You know what? I'm not sure. Because I'm wondering if it's touch DNA, who's to say he didn't just like hand a smoke to someone? Yeah. You know, but if it was saliva DNA, there's really, unless you rerun the tests, there's really no. That's a really good point. You or know he what? has I'm a twin sure. that he doesn't know about. Yeah. An identical twin. But
1: he's just so adamant. I mean, when you hear the interviews... Between the investigator and Engel, the investigator's just like, so you're telling me the science is wrong? And Engel's like, yeah, that absolutely cannot be me. And of course, like we were just saying, I'm the type of person that like wants to believe him. And to me, he sounds sincerely confused, but you know, he's, he has committed fraud. So there is the ability to lie. Right. So... You know, just because you're committing fraud doesn't mean you're going to commit a violent offense. But it does mean that you can that you're willing to lie.
0: Yeah. So that's true.
1: But, you know, he also denies having a connection with Matt. And in this cold justice episode, you know, they go around and they're asking all of these people, you know, if they can find a connection between Angle and Matt Mm -hmm. Or Angle and Gwen, and they just can't. There's just, there's no personal connection there. There's just not, they have nothing. So, you know, they, investigators know that Angle has to be lying about something because his DNA was there, but they have absolutely no other evidence, circumstantial or otherwise, that links Angle to the murder or to Matt or to Gwen.
0: So he's never been charged with it so random that his dna just popped up though
1: yeah i don't you know he could be completely innocent and just like you said i mean he doesn't want any more charges he's in jail like right
0: i don't know he has an identical twin brother that he doesn't know about
1: maybe wouldn't that be wild i mean this is full of this case is full of like i said the horror movie trope so maybe yeah (laughs) honestly
0: yeah some pretty little liar vibes in there
1: yeah Matt has also never been charged with Gwen's murder. He actually still lives in Florida. He's since remarried. He actually um, fishes on a professional level, like a oh. competition level. Um, That's kind of cool. But and I I don't like pointing fingers at spouses or otherwise like reactions to. Right. Like the murders of their spouses and everything, because like we've said, everyone handles that stuff differently. And they were estranged as well. Yeah. But, you know, he was still seeing her. And even though he had all these other girlfriends like this was his wife, he was never in the police department or ever touching base with police on the status of the case unless they had him in for questioning. Like he was never like, "Hey, uh, what's the update on my wife's murder case? Did we find anything?" Right. He just seemed totally disinterested. Went on to live his life. Yeah. So, uh, just on top of everything else. Yeah. He just, you know what? No matter what, he's a sleazeball for sure yeah
0: so or at least he was at that time yeah hopefully since he is remarried he has changed and you know grown up and matured a little bit but yeah i'm just in a positive vibes mood today man yeah, I, don't I don't know, know. i don't
1: think i'm on board this is abnormal i think he's for me.
0: he's probably still a <laughs> sleazeball <laughs> so in an interview marking
1: the fifth anniversary of the murder gwen's mother barbara uh Piotrowski said I would like to see an arrest I don't want it to be 30 years from now and I'm not here and unfortunately just a few years after that Barbara passed away in 2010 without ever Ugh. seeing justice for her daughter
0: yeah and here we are um almost 20 years out
1: yeah just about 20 years next year will be
0: 20 mm-hmm
1: and unfortunately we wow. still don't have that for her So it is really sad. Uh, Gwen still has two brothers that miss her terribly. They've both been interviewed for a number of episodes of the true crime shows that I was watching. Um, They literally describe her as lighting up a room. They literally use those words. And they, you can just tell that, like, they adored her. They really did. Actually, one of her brothers was inspired to go to law school to become a prosecutor.
0: I love that.
1: Yeah. Oh, just them talking about her and just tearing up. And they're like, yeah, they um, interviewed them individually. And the one was like, yeah, my brother and I are close. But, like, this was our sister. And it's just not the same relationship. Brother to yeah. brother is brother to sister. And. Their mother passed away, so they were just, you could tell they were both kind of craving that, like, feminine kind of influence in their life. Just, it's a different relationship, and they're heartbroken.
0: I will say, um, I was actually talking to someone about this earlier this weekend. I think something that is going to come, something good that's going to come from a whole lot of negativity that we have seen growing up is that we are starting to have people that go into law enforcement and that become prosecutors that have been kind of burned by the system. Mm -hmm. And they're using that energy in a positive way to fuel positive change for the system. And like, I mean, I was talking about it, I think it was with my husband, you know, I was talking to him about it mainly because, you know, my school year, my school year with my kids is done. I still have some teacher days left, but, you know, talking about the generation that my students belong to and just the great things I already see coming from this generation in the small portion of teenagers that I get to work with each year, I think that We're hitting the generation that has just been through so much shit that they're not taking it anymore. And they're actually fighting back against systems that are having negative impacts on people. And not that any particular officer or, you know, anyone did anything wrong to Gwen's family. Sure. But still just that motivation for this is a cold case that hasn't been solved. So I don't want anyone else to feel this way. And, you know, I'm going to do my part to kind of fix this situation as a whole. And I think we see a lot of that in our generation as well as, like, Gen Z. Yeah. And I think it's give us another 30 years 20 years 30 years and I think we're going to see a total change in a lot of elements of our society
1: yeah I totally agree Total tangent
0: from the case but
1: you are so positive today
0: (laughs) I really am it's probably because of the crash I witnessed and nobody died so that's clinging to the positive vibes that (laughs) oh my goodness so that's that's what I'm rolling with. But anyway, that was just my little side tangent. Sappy teacher end of the year. Proud of my kids. Yeah, moment. you are
1: such a teacher. I love it.
0: Oh, yeah. And if any of you are listening, since you all now know this podcast exists. Yes, I mean you. Oh. And that's your last sappy note from me. <laughs> Thank you, Mrs. Letterman.
1: <laughs> In the cold justice episode that I keep bringing up, but it was a great episode. Um
0: It's been a while since we've referenced cold justice a thousand times on the show, so it's okay.
1: The investigators went to the county prosecutor with their findings, and it sounded promising, uh, but this episode was from 2015 and was probably filmed even earlier than that. So it's actually been a long time since this case has really seen any movement. Unfortunately, I did watch some episodes of some other stuff that were a a little more up to date. There was crime watch daily with Chris Hansen. And there's also, um, the still a mystery, um, show that you can find those episodes on YouTube. Okay. And they were a little bit more up to date, but there really hasn't been too much movement at all. Um, it's it would seem that all signs are pointing to Matt. It really would.
0: But he's you got the motive out there You've living, got living his the life. Yeah. yeah.
1: The case that they really put together in front of like the county prosecutor seemed mm-hmm. very, very strong. So I guess they just felt like in the end it wasn't enough to charge him.
0: I wonder if it was something similar to what we talked about with Gail and Tamara with even in that case with, you know, the the neighbor's ex-boyfriend, you know, they took him to court, but, you know, didn't actually have the right evidence. Or when they thought they had the right evidence, something came in that nullified it, or it was too circumstantial and there wasn't enough actual evidence that could pinpoint something. And it kind of sounds like that's what we have here for Matt. Yeah. Like there's a lot of circumstantial evidence and there's a lot of that possibility of motive, but we can't actually prove it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So. Yeah. So I'm
1: hoping this is one of the ones that we hear about soon. That 20 year old cold case, you know, solved Solved. with something. Yeah. So if you have any information on this case, you can call Crime Stoppers of Palm Beach County at 1-800-458-TIPS, which is 8477 or the West Palm Beach police at 561- eight, two, two, one, six, seven, five. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone cold cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims only to law enforcement. If you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by me, Grace. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music by Darren Makins. Production assistance from Darren Makins. Join us again next week for another case
0: to sleuth out.